Screening for colon cancer with colonoscopies is almost a given. But when should follow-up exams be performed in those at average risk, at those at higher risk, or in those who have had polyps found on screening exams? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today is Dr. Carol Burke, the director of the Center for Colon, Polyp, and Cancer Prevention at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Burke. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, in terms of colon cancer screening, I'm in Chicago and you're in Cleveland. And uh, I, I would think in most major metropolitan areas, uh, colonoscopies are the rule, but are there room for other colon cancer screening strategies? Well, there certainly are, Lee. There's a variety of colon cancer screening modalities, and most are endorsed by the major GI societies through the auspices of the Multi-Society Task Force on Colorectal Cancer and the American Cancer Society. Of course, as you stated before, most clinicians want to perform colonoscopy, and in fact, the American College of Gastroenterology supports colonoscopy every 10 years as the preferred method for colorectal cancer screening. The reason behind that is that colonoscopy is highly sensitive and can be both diagnostic and therapeutic, so patients benefit from not only having the diagnosis, but polyps can be removed before they develop into cancer. Mm-hmm. But when we think about screening modalities, I always have a dialogue with my patients about the other methods that are also endorsed for options for colorectal cancer screening in average-risk asymptomatic individuals that usually begin at the age of 50. The American College of Gastroenterology recommends that African-Americans are at slightly higher risk, and they should consider colorectal cancer screening at the age of 45. But other than that, race-specific recommendation, most other individuals without symptoms and at average risk undergo screening at the age of 50. So the tried and true, not very sexy, not very expensive, Mm -hmm. and the least invasive method is the fecal occult blood test which has been shown to be associated with a decrease in the incidence and mortality of colorectal cancer in randomized controlled trials of hundreds of thousands of patients worldwide. Now, that test was based on the GUIAC fecal occult blood test and done on an, either an annual or biennial basis really had the same effect on incidence and mortality. I think the drawback of fecal occult blood testing that's based on GUIAC has some limitations because although we believe that large polyps and cancers intermittently bleed, using a guaiac-based method has lower sensitivity and a lack of specificity because dietary factors such as pseudoperoxidases and horseradish, turnips, some fruits and vegetables, and blood and poorly cooked meats can cause false positive examinations. And bleeding uh, elsewhere in the GI tract, I imagine. Exactly, and, and more upper gastrointestinal bleeding. So because of these dietary restrictions, compliance has really been shown to be low. And as I said before, false positives are common. So kind of a nuance that I'm encouraging our institution to go to and many other institutions have gone to in the United States is an immunochemical fecal occult blood test, which utilizes antibodies that are specific to human hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. And with that, it has a higher sensitivity and specificity than GUIAC and I think should be considered in place of the guaiac fecal occult blood test. The other advantage of the immunochemical is that globin from the upper GI tract is degraded before it gets to the colon, so it um, doesn't have the 
false positives related to upper GI tract bleeding, and CMS actually pays for the immunochemical test. Wow. So I did not realize that an upper GI bleed would not give a false positive with this technique. Right, because globin is degraded as it passes through the small intestine. Is this also a technique where you only need a single sample as opposed to the usual three guaiac cards? That's a very important point. And the test characteristics that we can tout about for the benefits of fecal occult blood testing with guaiac have been based on spontaneously passed stools, so you test, you know, two windows, two different parts of stools on three consecutive days with dietary restriction. And the immunochemical test, most of the studies have used just a single or two stool specimens. And it's either a little stick or a little brush, you know, that you dab into the stool and then put into a, it looks like kind of like a test tube and send it to the lab. The beauty of this is the test results can be automated. There's no intra-observer variation in the interpretation of the test. And you can link it to electronic medical record that, you know, as it comes in, it can be scanned in and the result can go into an electronic medical record rather than having being hand undocumented like a fecal occult blood test needs to be. That sounds like a major step forward. I've heard of some, perhaps they are guaiac-based, where you actually put something into the toilet water as opposed to having to handle the stool. Yes, I would encourage clinicians not to go that route because there has been no studies that have actually determined the sensitivity or specificity of that method versus something alternative. But I think that speaks to the fact that people don't like to fish for their poop in the, in the toilet bowl. <laughs> right. And we, you know, we need to come up with other options that are palatable for patients to undergo screening. But that immunochemical-based test sounds like a real step forward. It is. And in fact, many other countries, in particular Japan, has been using that method since 1983. And in their case-controlled studies, they've been showing a decrease in colorectal cancer mortality by up to 80%. So it's something that I think we're all going to be going to in the future. The other thing that we should talk about is something that internists can do in their office. We don't recommend that fecal occult blood testing be done on a digital rectal examination, but FlexSig, and mm-hmm. that's examination of the lower one-half to one-third of the colon. It's recommended to be performed every five years, usually in conjunction with an annual fecal occult blood test. The drawbacks of FlexSig is that nearly 50% of neoplasms are beyond the reach of the sigmoidoscope. And when I have a discussion with patients about, you know, here are the variety of options, here's the risks and benefits, I liken doing a sigmoidoscopy like doing the left breast when you're doing a mammography. Now, why would you only screen half the organ? It doesn't really make sense to me, but in the past... FlexSig had been something that was reimbursed by insurance for screening, and colonoscopy in many states in the past had not been covered by insurance, which is rapidly changing. So a very practical reason uh, it was considered, but really does not look at the whole colon, give you the information you really need. Right. So it's a false reassurance. In fact, if it's negative, you can't tell a patient, well, you're fine. To be honest, in case-controlled trials, FlexSig has been associated with a reduction in colorectal cancer mortality up to 60%, and the protective effect of sigmoidoscopy is presumed to last up to 10 years. So it is an option, probably not the strongest option. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Carol Burke, the director of the Center for Colon, Polyp, and Cancer Prevention at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland. She is uh, discussing with us the various techniques for screening for colon polyps and colon cancer. Do we typically combine, Dr. Burke, the FlexSig with a a barium enema? Yes. So now if we talk about radiologic options, there's really two methods to evaluate the colon. Both are a potential full colonic evaluation, and the 
guidelines that have been endorsed include an air contrast barium enema performed every five years, usually recommended in addition to Flexig because the rectosigmoid is sometimes a difficult area to fully distend and evaluate on the barium enema. Unfortunately, the widespread decrease in the use of barium enema may be leading to a decrease in the skill of radiologists to perform a high-quality examination. Mm. And we do have some data, in fact, that air contrast barium enemas are not very effective. So there was a large post-polypectomy study called the National Polyp Study, and they compared the findings on an air contrast barium enema to a colonoscopy and over 800 individuals that agreed to have the paired examinations. The barium enema was done first on a mean of about two weeks prior to the colonoscopy. And when the investigators looked at the miss rate of barium enema, they found it to be 52% for lesions that were one centimeter or greater. So I think that really, for me, put the nail in the coffin for the use of barium enema as a screening strategy because it is not very accurate. And then I imagine you start to talk to uh, the patient about comfort and what's involved with getting a barium enema, flexible sigmoidoscopy. Their enthusiasm must wane quickly also. Exactly. It's not a very comfortable examination. But there is another radiologic test, and it's the CT colonography or virtual colonography. And I think that most Americans are into high-tech, into novel, into imaging. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, virtual colonography utilizes a CT scanner, with specialized software and post-processing techniques to render colon images that look like those found at the time of uh, colonoscopy. The accuracy of CT colonography versus colonoscopy to detect polyps has been really heterogeneous amongst the largest, most recent multi-center published trials. So if we take the three that have been published that are the largest, the highest accuracy, which showed that CT colonography was similar to colonoscopy, was achieved by Perry Pickhart, and that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, over 1,200 patients and done at a variety of centers. So it showed that basically finding polyps that are six millimeters or greater was 86 to 90 percent and compared favorably to colonoscopy. Well, the two other studies have been published, one by Rocky and one by Cotton, also multi-center studies, found inferior accuracy of CT colonography, much less than that of colonoscopy. And on that basis, you know, no uh, guidelines had endorsed CT colonography because of the, the heterogeneous sensitivity. Does that have anything to do with the particular computer software that's used or the radiologists or how do we explain that? You're exactly right. I think it's a combination of many things. And as software improves, technology improves, I think accuracy improves too. And it's interesting. I just read an editorial from a radiologist who said, some people get it and some people don't. And you know that. You know, Some docs can get an LP easily and the others fumble. Someone can get a central line easily and, and others mm-hmm. aren't. So, so I think we all have you know, our skill sets. And just like in colonoscopy, you know, high-quality examinations should be able to but can differ between individuals performing the examination. So, so I think that certain people have an aptitude to perform CT colonography and interpret those images, and other people may not be as good. But... Prefacing that, there's a large multi-center trial that's being run by the American College of Radiology. The acronym is the ACRIN trial, A-C-R-I-N. Mm-hmm. American College of Radiology has completed this nationwide multi-center study that compares CT colonography and colonoscopy. And the long-awaited results haven't been published in a peer-reviewed journal, but the data from over 2,500 subjects has been made publicly available on antmini.com September 28th of 2007. And what the radiologists found was that the sensitivity for the detection of lesions greater than five millimeters 
was 65%, which increased to 90% for lesions greater than 9 millimeters. So the smaller polyps aren't very well detected, but when you think about the lesions that potentially impart the greatest risk of colon cancer, those that are, you know, a centimeter or greater, the detection rate of CT colonography in this multicenter study was 90%. Specificity remained at approximately 86%. So I think that most of us are waiting for this data to come out in a peer-reviewed journal, and if, in fact, the preliminary results are supported in the final manuscript, that most people will be getting on the bandwagon of CT colonography as an option. Obviously, better than barium enema, which is currently an option in our guidelines. So I think this would probably supplant or be recommended in addition to barium enema. Well, I want to thank Dr. Carol Burke, who has been our guest as we've been discussing various screening techniques for colon polyps and with an aim to prevent colon cancer. And uh, some very interesting information for me, who's a colonoscopy type of person, uh, the immunochemical techniques with uh, stool fecal occult blood testing are a real step forward, and some very interesting steps forward uh, with virtual colonoscopy, although many questions still obviously remain. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much for listening.